Okay. Um. So. Uh. Okay. I normally have a process when I do these things. I've gotten pretty good at it over the years. At least I'd like to think so. Um, research, you know, looking into things, getting viewpoints, interviews, you know, magazines if I have them. Obviously, I don't have that much for enterprises I've complained about before. But, you know, I tabulate and whatnot. I usually put that stuff up in the top, the left margins. Then I actually watch the episode, you know, usually sitting here fully in uniform, ready to go. So that the moment the episode finishes, I can just hit stop, set up the screen so that, you know, I don't have the glare on my glasses, hit record, done. I decided to do that the inverse of that this time around. I actually watched the episode first, then I did my research. Now, you're probably wondering why I'm even mentioning that now. It will come up later, and I just kind of wanted to mention it because it's going to be relevant. And I'll explain why I did that later, too. For now, let's get into the episode proper. So... First, we find out that the reptilians are evil because they eat innocent little mice. <laughs> or it's a V reference, who knows. Um, so, we find out that the Jutarians can accelerate the process around the spheres. Why haven't you been doing that? Like, I'm, I'm just wondering, really. Especially if you can just make it... whatever. <laughs> it's okay, they can do other things in this episode too, which we'll get to. This also leads to the fact that they have, despite their claims of not being able to precisely alter the past, and my theories as to why they wouldn't do that in the previous episode, all that's thrown out the window, because they have no problem telling what the Enterprise is doing specifically, and where it is, and the fact that it's going to the Command Sphere, not one of the four Command Spheres, and, yeah, okay, whatever. This then leads to, to Paul having to tell Tucker what it means and the significance of the stakes, and trying to emphasize this, but of course... Paul would only be interested in this if Vulcan itself was damaged. After all, she wouldn't care if all the other worlds are being destroyed, but she has to remind him that Vulcan is in danger, too. It's very important. But Tucker isn't okay with this. After all, the captain didn't tell him that this was their mission, and Tucker wouldn't even eat lunch without his captain telling him to. This then leads to them having to try and... We must, we must torture and destroy Hoshi. She must be damaged in order for the greater good. We must, it is, we do what we must. This is, I'd say, the second most ham-fisted expression of this theme that we've seen the whole season so far. It, it, it would probably work if not for the fact that they just keep hammering the point in over and over and over again. Turns out there is a reason. You know, she needs to be able to decode stuff. Okay, I'm cool with that. So I'm, I'm willing to forgive the last episode. But I'm not willing to forgive this episode. Now, credit to Linda Park. She actually does a good job with this. She acts like someone whose mind is literally wrong. Like it's been jigsawed incorrectly. And she still thinks she's on the reptilian ship in some cases. And, you know, there's this whole trauma thing. She does a good job of showing it. It would be nice for this to ever show up ever again in any episode after this. I'm reminded of the inner light. A bit of a stark contrast, but bear with me. Because back in the Inner Light, which many people consider to be the superior, the best TNG episode, the effects of that episode never really matter again. Oh, it's referenced a couple of times. It does. It is. It comes up a few times after that. But it has no significance on Picard. This massive, incredibly life-changing event, to the extent that we don't even have a real-life parallel for it, happens. And yeah, that's that's it. Okay, 
So Hoshi has just been mind reprogrammed by parasites, by evil reptilians who are evil because they're evil. And they were in order to try and get her to help destroy her home planet and her entire species. Yeah, that's pretty traumatic. It's arguably more traumatic. Then again, Picard's also been through the Borg. But you, you, you get my point. This isn't a contest. The point is that this is something that should probably come up in the future. She says this one line that caught my attention. No reptiles. We, we could use that going forward. That could be a thing going forward. Just a hesitance or a, a thing that she never really recovers from. I don't know. Just food for thought. But no. No. Okay. This then leads me to... I, I took a moment to try and process my thoughts here, because I want to say this very specifically. I hate the chosen one thing, but not probably what you're thinking of, and that's the problem. So, uh, fiction for a while, really, but this has been kind of drifting in and out of significance for the better part of the last 20 years, has this tendency, especially in what I would consider bad fiction or badly written fiction, has this tendency to emphasize this one person who, like, without this one person, the world will be destroyed or everything will fall apart. This one person is the crux of everything. Without them, it's all for nothing. Now, you're probably thinking, Laura, that's most settings. And you're right. Without Aragorn, right, or Bilbo or, or Frodo or Sam. Okay, let's move on to another setting. Without Picard, without Luke, without Raynor. Like, I, I could pick out a bunch, right? That's not the part that bothers me. One person being able to make a difference and being significant doesn't bug me at all. What bothers me is the chosen one thing, where they emphasize this, usually in-universe. Almost always, someone in-universe is like, you are the chosen one. You. That's why I call it the chosen one thing, is because they almost always use that phrase when they're talking about this. You are the one person who everything rests upon. The apex, the fulcrum, the crux of everything. In fact, in this very episode, they flat out say that Archer is crucial to the future of mankind. Now... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go off on this topic for just a little bit, but I want to make this very clear how much this bugs me. Picard, crucial to the future of mankind. Yes or no? I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, but lore, tapestry. Nah, nah, nah. As I already discussed in tapestry, I don't buy that for a millisecond. No, the point is, Picard is someone who could be considered crucial to the future of mankind. We can name quite a few others, actually. And I, even if we just remove the captain layer, let's... Get rid of that. Spock would be crucial to the future of humanity. More than once. So would Scotty. Just to add that one to the list. Or how about uh, O'Brien? That one came up at least once. I mean, you get my point, right? Again, the significance of it isn't what bugs me. Let's go back to the captain layer. How many times did someone in-universe say, Picard, the entirety of the future of all mankind rests on your shoulders? I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but... It, it, you are crucial to everything. Do they do that to Kirk? Do they do that to, you know, Cisco? Do they do that to Janeway? The answer is no, they didn't. And that's my point. Now, there was one thing that I'm sure some of you are lunging to your comments to bring up, and that's Star Trek V. That doesn't count for reasons I probably don't need to explain. But if that's the defense being utilized against this, then my point is made for me. This is stupid, in my opinion, writing. Because it... Let me, let me boil this down to a single sentence. Picard was crucial to the future of humanity. 
We were told Archer was crucial to the future of humanity. See the difference? Now, this, is, this isn't even the first time this has happened. But it really bugs me here because they really hammer this point in. And Daniels' in intervention here is so stupid. It doesn't help that Archer is continuing to be belligerent toward Daniels, despite, despite the fact that Daniels has done nothing but try to help him. In fact, the last time he did this back in Azadi Prime, one of the weaker parts of that episode, Daniels' assistance was the main, indeed only, reason that Archer was able to talk with the Zindi and manage to broker a peace and then truce and then alliance with the Zindi. And yet he is still being deliberate and dismissing the evidence and uh, advice of the future guy because because Archer is just kind of yelly. That's just his this character trait. He likes to yell. God, this bugs the piss out of me. It also, there's another reason why it bothers me here specifically. You remember how I made that whole speech more than once, more than like ten times at this point, about how Archer is right well, that's what this is. This is another expression of that same thing. Archer is right. That's also why I made that joke earlier about Tucker. Because it's that exact same writing back in. And you probably already see where this is going. So, whatever. Enterprise enters the distortion field without being shredded. I don't know what was up with that aquatic vessel last time. And they can't hail the research post for no reason. And then it turns out, yeah, I know, they give a made-up stupid reason, but come on. They also have no trouble communicating with people who are further away at separate points in that, you know, when Shran comes in, for example. But anyways, so, okay, sure, whatever, fine, 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 fine. And then they decide to needlessly destroy the outpost to prove that they're the bad guys, right, right? Hey, you know what would be cool is if we could compare these guys to Nazis. Like, that's like the universal fictional shorthand for evil, right? Ah, that'd be stupid. Um, so... Instead, we have them killing them all, which makes sense. We saw back in Twilight that the reptilians would be insistent upon wiping out all human life everywhere. So, yeah, sure, okay. We also find out that that's something the Tutarians mandated, so that makes them even more wonderful. Tucker is then stupid and isn't aware of the skin effect he'd been briefed upon. And then they use the deflector. Okay, this then leads to the Tutarians, who beam on board the ship... I, I, I can't even... Let, let, let's try to go... Let's stop right there. Let's try to go into how many ways that's stupid. First of all, if the Tutarians could physically show up and beam on board... Because, um, I mean, okay. It's obviously because it's in the space. I get that. That's not my problem with it. But if they're there, they're either there from the present or there from the future. Given what they're there for, it almost doesn't matter, though. Because if they're there from the present, they have been informed by the future to go there in the present. Which means, one way or another, temporal incursion. And if you remember, I had this whole speech last episode about why they might not be hesitant to do temporal incursions. Why it is exactly that they don't just go use time travel all willy-nilly. This throws most of those out the window because these are either in the present, informed by the future, or these are from the future, and either way, we have a problem. And no one else is intervening except Daniels, who grabbed Archer to try and convince him he's on his side for five seconds and inform him that he is the cruxpin of human nature. Yes, crux pin. It's like it's like a horcrux and a linchpin all at the same time. It's it's really messed up. You you have to kill a puppy every time you make one. <sighs> okay, whatever. So they show up and they can shoot energy beams out of their hands. At this point, I don't even give a damn. 
Uh, this then leads to a wonderful section. If you ever wondered, I, if it's not obvious, I'm kind of shredding this script, and that's because this is a bad episode. But, in my opinion, sorry. If you ever hear, don't hear me say, in my opinion, just presume it's there. If I ever say the word demonstrably or objectively, that's not opinion. You also notice I don't use those words pretty often for that exact reason. Anyways, so this utter garbage episode. There you go. You got it. The, uh, we find out just how little the people are paying attention to their own script. Because we find out that there's seven humans on board. Let's see. We've got Archer and Hoshi and Reed and three Makos. That makes seven. Now, I know, I know. <laughs> I am getting a little nitpicky here. But screw this episode. But it does kind of indicate the little effort that was put into it. Especially given some stuff I'll talk about when we get to the end of this particular video. The other reason I bring this up, though, because there is another reason, is this could actually be explained away. After all, Daniels might be on the ship. <sighs> okay. Anyways, this then leads to them going into the death field, and the doctor's like, Doctor, doctor's like, you should ro rotate it to this exact teraflops. And T'Pol says, Doctor? In like a very challenging tone, like, how dare you undermine my authority kind of a word. And he's like, no, trust me, let me explain why I know what I'm talking about. And then she's like, okay, fine, whatever. To give you an... The only reason I'm even pointing out this exact moment is I'm sitting here, and I was actually scribbling down a note for something else uh, about the about Trinier, which we'll talk about later. And as I was scribbling that, he said that, and then she said that, and I actually got legitimately irritable, angry. Like, there was just a spark of a flare there. And I actually said out loud as I'm sitting here, you know, in, in, in my office working, just listen to him, you idiot. <laughs> what? What are you, what are you doing? Uh, okay, okay. So then Shran shows up, and he got a smile out of me. Can we have a little bit of gratitude for the dude who probably just went against orders and might have torpedoed his career to help his allies out? No? Okay, well, that sucks. So then we have the big fight aboard the weapon, and a reptilian manages to get the drop on a Mako, and then has a dumb fight with him. This whole scene is stupid. It's a Mako we don't even get a name for. It's a reptilian we never have a name for. And they just have a fist fight in front of a green screen for a minute. This feels like something that was added in, because it has no impact on anything. It it starts with the, the shooting down to where Hoshi is, and it ends with the shooting down to where Hoshi is, and that's it. <laughs> and it's even stupider if you think about it, because the reptilians, who are here to kill all humans, that's their goal manages to get the drop on and get the gun right at the Mako, point it at his head, and then not shoot, which is dumb. The Mako, who is a combat professional who is supposed to be really good at this sort of thing, does not hear the large reptilian person who is wearing heavy armor clunking up behind him, which is stupid. This then leads to... Uh, like, Tucker's like, no, I've got this. Just give me a moment. At the very last second, I'll get it. And he does at the last second, because apparently we're just trying to hit every single cliche we possibly can. Note, I'm not really against cliches. But if you do nothing but cliches and don't do anything with them, then you have a problem. Because all you have is something that anybody can predict from a mile away, which has no meat or emphasis or flavor, in order to make it interesting or enjoyable. By this point in the episode, I was officially not liking this, and I started processing in the back of my mind, is this lamentation territory? It's not, obviously. Lighting gives that away. 
But I'm willing to put this at least at a two-off. Maybe a one-off. I'm curious what you all think. I'll talk about that in a minute, though. Anyways, this leads to Archer being self-sacrificing. Of course it does. Because he's he's the chosen one. All right, we already talked about this. And he then gets in a fight with Dolem, which makes sense. Dolem's the final boss, after all. See, you have to have a fight between the, the central villain and the central hero. After all, don't you remember when Khan grabbed Kirk and started punching him over the railing uh, as the Genesis device was exploding in the background? <sighs> Sorry. Snarking. What I do find funny is that Archer's thrown... A, they're in a whole area with no railing. And and Dolem manages to grab Archer and throw him towards the one area that has railing. Now, you want to play a game. Watch this fight between Archer and Dolem sometime. Now, Dolem is large, physically stronger, has claws, and has a weapon. I counted no less than five separate individual instances where Dolem should have been effortlessly able to kill Archer and didn't. And instead, Archer is able to actually get the upper hand on him. What? You're probably thinking, Laura, you're just being dismissive at this point. Yes. Yes, I am. Screw this episode. However, I do like to give critique as well as criticizing. What I would have done is I would have had it so he gets that last little charge on Dolem early. But the problem is Dolem then knocks him away and he loses the the control. And Dolem, as he's looking around, he's, he, you know, take, Dolem takes a moment. Get a little bit of characterization moment as he's realizing the weapon's being destroyed. And he looks up. You know, they'll just bake another one. And another one after that. I've seen what kind of resistance your species can hold up. You won't be able to stop the Zindi rise. And we will not be destroyed by you and yours. Your revenge. I'd have to workshop the dialogue. But the idea is, Dolem would essentially get across in his dialogue that he feels that they have to be committed to wiping out humanity at this point because they started, which means humanity will obviously come back to wipe out the Zindi. Why wouldn't they? It would never occur to Dalem to think that humanity would do anything other than retaliate to wipe out the Zindi. And Archer would be like, you got a lot to learn about the rest of us, but I'm afraid you're not going to be around for it. Beep! Or whatever. Or maybe not even kill him. Maybe just let him be there and enjoy the explosion as Archer tries to run away from the explosion because that, that's dumb. I don't know, something. Again, I'd have to workshop it. This is all just off the top of my head. Anyway, so he runs away from the explosion. Yay. This leads to the end of the Expanse. Wow. That's, that's, a, that's a sea change right there. That's a huge deal. Although we all saw that coming, didn't we? I mean, granted, the Zindi are never mentioned before. Uh, that's not true. They are barely referenced in one episode in season four. But in all of the shows and movies after this, we never even hear hide nor hair of the Zindi, so that's whatever. But um, at the, on the other side, it's also worth noting the Expanse is never mentioned either. And it's pretty close to Earth, you know, being you know, in, in Enterprise range. We also find out that Tapol is 65. Hey! I, I don't know. I feel like I should feel something there, but I don't. So then we have a fake-out death of Archer. Archer's totally dead, guys. Wink! They spend six minutes and 32 seconds dedicated towards the death of Archer. Now, that may not sound like a long period of time. I want you to really think about how long that is, especially in a 44-minute episode. That is not an insubstantial chunk of the episode, over 10%, just devoted towards Archer's totally dead. 
Then we get a section that doesn't quite follow logic, which we'll discuss more later, actually, where they're carried back by an aquatic vessel and then let go, and then they're in the past. Oh, and so is Archer. <sighs> yeah, we're getting into it, because now they decide to, in a spaceship that can scan from orbit, they decide that nothing's wrong whatsoever. So they said just because they're apparently blind, dumb, and deaf. Now, willing to forgive this one point maybe if the Enterprise is in such bad shape that none of their sensors and none of their comms work. Okay, fine. So they're flying blind. That's insane and stupid, but at least it's something I'm willing to swallow. So they send the shuttle pod down, at which point they say, well, yeah, San Francisco looks pretty normal to me. No. <laughs> I'm not willing to buy that one. San Francisco doesn't look the same now compared to back during the 40s. Never mind jumping forward another century and a half or whatever it is. There's no way in hell that they wouldn't be able to immediately distinguish the variants. On like a dozen levels, but they want to save that big reveal of the Mustangs because Braga likes uh, juxtaposition. I've talked about this before. He likes the idea of contemporary stuff with science fiction stuff blended seamlessly together. It's a big thing for him. It's one of the reasons why twice he's hit the Nazi thing, you know, aliens in Nazi uniforms, right? Um, now, I get that, and I, I even respect that. I do. I have my things, too. You know, as I said before, we all have our things that are interesting to us or engaging or whatever, right? So in this case, this is just him uh, going for that. So he wanted to have the big reveal with the Mustangs. And you'll notice the big shot where there's Archer and there's a Nazi, 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 and a Nakul, an, excuse me, an alien in a Nazi uniform. Cut to black. End of season. This is when I did my research. Now... Why did I bother to preface all that? I was admittedly worried that you all would presume I didn't like this episode only because it was written by Berman and Braga. Now, I'd like to think you know, you think, I'd like to think you think? I'd like to believe you think better of me than that. There's actually been plenty of Berman and Braga scripts I've liked, and I actually tend to like Braga more than I don't. But this is such a copy-paste Berman and Braga script. It hits so many bad notes. And it really, really feels rushed. It feels like something that someone threw together at the last minute, which, hey, there's a decent chance it was. Alan Kroger directed it, managed to do what he could with it. But the thing is, I wanted to stress that I didn't like this episode before the ending. That's, a, that's an important point I wanted to get across. Then... Because the whole thing just feel like they were trying to wrap up things and didn't really know what they were doing. Berman himself has mentioned how he was personally involved in this project, and I believe him. <laughs> they were trying to pull the same feel from what you leave behind in this episode. Uh-huh. Maybe you should let someone with talent do that. Future thought. The other thing, though... It, it, I mean, I could talk about the episode, I could talk about how much I feel it falls apart, but I feel like I've done most of that work already. Let's talk about that damned ending. You want to hear an anecdote? Well, tough. Um, I know... Let me actually think about this. I know six people, personally, as in people I've interacted with in person, who are friends or family or whatever, who were getting into season three... And like season three. And to this day, if you ask them about it, they'll say, yeah, I like season three. Until that damn Nazi and an alien shows up. No, really. 
This is actually one of the reasons I've tried to spend so much time discussing the episode proper and how much I feel it sucks. Because everyone else just discusses the ending. It's the one big point that everyone brings up. Because it's the thing that stuck with everyone, for good and for bad. Mostly for bad. It took me years to convince a friend of mine to watch season four of Enterprise. You know why? Because of this ending. Because it was so face-palmingly stupid, he actually was just like, well, I'm out. It took me a bit to watch this, too. I watched this, and I was like... And I remember what I was thinking at the time, because it was basically... Did I... Did it skip? Is there an edit screw up here? Is this part of another episode that accidentally got spliced into this one? It was so nonsensical. And the logic of it was so illogical that I actually presumed it was a screw-up rather than a deliberate part of the episode. Remember that logic chain? They're carried by the aquatics back, go out, and they're in the past. And Archer's down there, just like that, from the weapon which exploded in the present. Now this will be, I hesitate to use the word, explained in the, up, in the upcoming episodes, but this was just a huge huh for me when I first saw this. Now, I decided to go ahead and look into some other people, uh, especially at the time, uh, reviews, uh, mostly magazine sites, but there are a few websites, uh, general websites and Trek websites that still have some archives of people's reactions to this. They were almost universally bad. Now, I'm only using this as evidence for what I believe to be true. I could be wrong about this. And as always, I am curious of your thoughts. But from everyone I have ever heard from, this was such an out-of-nowhere move that the overwhelming majority of people lost interest immediately in Season 4. Some decided to go forward with it out of simple curiosity, but quite a few people said, okay, this has hit the nonsense peak, I'm out. Some people said, okay, well, Season 3 was good, but it's over, and now there's this weirdness, so I'm out. That's actually a pretty common trend, I heard. What were they thinking? Well, now it's time. You know, this is usually when I do my behind-the-scenes research, so I can tell you why they were doing this. And the answer is, we don't know. All these years later, I've never been able to find a definitive answer for why they did this. For the longest time, I legitimately suspected that this was deliberate sabotage. No, really. The idea here... Remember, at this point, and I pointed this out for a good reason, that at this point, they had already been informed that the Season 4 had been renewed, and that there was going to be a changing of the Guard. And that it was going to be new new show showrunner, you know, new new mainline people, new director, new producers. A lot of new crew. Like some of the old people would still be around. But it was mostly going to be a new uh, direction for the show. Even f- from an internal perspective. And thus, my theory was simple. Well, screw you. And that certainly sounds like something that Berman would do and something that Braga would acquiesce to because Ber- Braga did whatever Berman told him to. He did. Um, I have heard another theory. In fact, I've heard uh, three other theories since then. One was that they had filmed alternate endings depending on whether or not uh, season four was going to be happening at all or not. I have since heard interviews by Scott Bakula himself that say, no, that was never a thing. So I'm willing to torpedo that theory. The second theory, this is a pretty common theory as well, uh, is actually coming from uh, Connor Trenier, was the idea that they wanted to make sure that if they ended the season at season three, it would be such a bombshell ending that they would be in horrible trouble and they'd have to bring this, you know, an executive move. I could buy that. 
I could. I, I could actually believe that that is the direction they're going in. And, I mean, it worked for Farscape, although they didn't really do it on purpose there. But at the same time, the problem is, no matter how I look at this, this really just feels like an out-of-nowhere terrible, terrible move. And I wanted to talk about that because I believe this is the exact moment at which Season 5 of Enterprise... No, let me walk that back. I believe this is the exact moment at which Enterprise died. Right here. Season 3 certainly was an overhaul in many ways. But as I think we've shown as we've been going through these episode by episode, there were still episodes that weren't great, that were typical Enterprise episodes. And it was a very rocky road going through Season 3. There was good here. There was legitimate good here. I, I can't even describe it verbally. The difference between watching um, Countdown, for example, which had me, you know, engaged and emotionally invested and, and impacted, was amazing versus the this episode, which I was just bored and irritable the whole time. But the point is, that's the dichotomy. We had both of those things going through it, but there was the good, which that's kind of the Trek thing, right? I mean, I know that sounds like a weird way to put that, but Trek has almost always had that, going all the way back to TOS. There's some blah, but there's the greats, and the greats are what drag Trek forward. Then this happens, and this was such a thing, such a moment, and had such impact, of, and not in a good way, not in any way in a good way, that I think this is the exact moment that everyone involved, both the people who watch and the people who make pretty much decided to bow out one way or the other. And as a consequence, the number... The, so what I'm trying to say is that the people... The numbers went down. Oh, I mean, this is true. The numbers did go down. The numbers started going back up over season four, but not early enough. By that point in time, the show had already been canceled. The plug had been pulled. And so the numbers were going down. Season four was just weird. People's reaction to the season three ender was bad. And I think that is what pushed pushed the final thing for them to pull the plug on Enterprise, and thus we never get season 5 or 6 or 7 or whatever it might have been. And it is the con recurring consensus, which I agree with, by the way, that season 4 was on an upswing, that it was getting better as we went through season 4. There's still some bad episodes in season 4. We'll see how much this tends to be true as we go back through it. But we will never know now, because we had to have a frickin' Nakul in a Nazi uniform. What do you think? Honestly, was this terrible? Was this great? Was it the best moment in cinema history? Okay, don't, don't go into, you know, rhetoric or whatever, but I, I am actually curious. What do you think of this one? I'd like to say this is the end of season three. It kind of isn't. We kind of have a little more baggage to deal with. This is the other problem here. The new creative staff wanted to take Enterprise in a new direction. However, they're stuck in the past during World War II with aliens in Nazi uniforms. It's worth noting that the story arc that will be starting up in the next two episodes was not designed when this story was written. This was intended to be an open-ended cliffhanger. Remember, that's something Star Trek had been doing ever since Best of Both Worlds. I've talked about that many times. I've talked about that in Voyager, I've talked about it in TNG and DS9. And in Enterprise, I believe it's come up as well. They had this policy. It became company policy to not write the ending of the cliffhanger, to just kind of go with it. Probably most visible in episodes like Descent. Or uh, there was one for Voyager. I forget the name of it, but there's the one in Voyager, which was very obvious they had not written the conclusion to. 
Thus, the same thing here. Which just even blows my mind even more. Because now they have to be like, okay, now what do we do? I don't know. We're in World War II with Nazis. Ugh. I hope you will join me for the last stretch. Two more weeks. Two more weeks and we'll be done with this. And we will see what we think of it next time. <laughs>